everybody. Welcome to the program. It's great to have you here with me. It's, uh, is it Tuesday? Man, it feels like Thursday or even Friday because the story I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, has more twists and turns than an indie, uh, course. It is nuts. And it's all about a guy named Sean Williams. If you have seen him, call me. Actually, don't call the police and then barricade yourself in your apartment because this guy is bad. Look at all the different looks. How are we supposed to protect ourselves when this guy is the chameleon of chameleons? He's like a twice escaped inmate. And believe it or not, he is wanted possibly for over 50 rapes. And when I say that, let me add one more detail. So I know I have your attention. Women and children. And there is evidence, police say, on the hard drives and thumb drives he kept in his apartment. The window out of which he's alleged to have thrown a woman. Five stories. So when I say be on the lookout, Bolo, I mean it. He's been on the run for 20 days. There is a manhunt across this country most of us haven't heard of, and we should have, because that man is dangerous. There's so many angles to this story. If you want to know what kind of a Houdini he is, Somehow he was on his way to a court appearance when he got out of the transit van. They were taking him in, which was guarded by two sheriff's deputies. He had handcuffs. He had leg irons. He had a belly chain. And somehow Sean Williams got out and has been on the run for 20 days. I have so many more details for you. But the person who could probably take a witness stand and tell investigators everything they needed to know would be that woman who ended up going out the window five stories up, concrete, below. The story that she could tell them. How did she end up up there? Was she also one of the victims alleged to be drugged, raped, videotaped? But then this one, at least, I don't know, the thought was to toss her to her her death? What a story she could tell. What a story she is telling because she survived. Five stories to concrete. She survived. Every bone nearly broken in her body. And she is talking to the authorities. And tonight, she will be talking to you because I have an exclusive interview. It is her first national interview. You're going to hear it in just a moment. And then there is a reason that true crime is like the fastest growing genre. Just go check out the most popular podcasts and you will see all the top ones are true crime. I believe you probably are among them, listening to those podcasts, watching this show. There is a reason we do what we do and, and there's a reason we gravitate to these stories because we just can't seem to shake the worst of the worst, right? That's why we have capital punishment, for the worst of the worst. The BTKs, the the Gacy's, the, the Dahmers of the world. Why are some serial killers, though, way more famous than others when the things that others have done actually eclipse these guys? We are doing another installment of our serial killers, the most brutal of them that you've never heard of tonight. So that is all coming with the most incredible uh, resource on the case, Dr. Catherine Ramsland, who literally wrote the book about it. But let's get started with Sean Williams, shall we? Eastern Tennessee. This guy should scare you. If serial killers scare you, this guy should too, because he's out there. There is a manhunt tonight for this guy. Look at those pictures. 
These are the, 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 the signs that you should be able to pick up on if you see him, the tattoos. But the face, that's a tough one. Even U.S. Marshals will be stumped by this one. He's been gone for 20 days, on the run. And who knows if he's got the, the closely cropped hairdo or the wild and woolly old man look or the glasses or the beard or all these different looks that he's been able to adopt to stay under the radar. Who knows? But he was last seen on October 18th which means for 20 days, he's somehow been able to survive out there in the wilderness of eastern Tennessee. We do know, whether he looked like this or something else, he did get to a house and use a phone while he's been on the run. How did they not notice? The two deputies who were transporting this guy in the transit van did not even notice that he had somehow gotten out of those leg irons, handcuffs, and belly chain and busted out a window in the van and gotten out. They did not notice that till they got to the courthouse. How? How? Are you kidding me? How do you not see? You had one job. Guard this guy. Get him to the hearing. Somehow they didn't notice till he got to the hearing. They got to the hearing without him. Let me just read over the, the charges so far because we're just at the beginning of this investigation. One count aggravated rape of a child. This involved an incident in that apartment with the five-story window. Two counts rape of a child. Talking about a separate incident here. Three counts sexual battery of a child under 13. And this incident involves a child younger than two. Again, do I have your attention? 20 counts especially aggravated sexual exploitation with a minor. And here's where things get interesting. Like as if that wasn't enough, right? That should be my whole show, but I'm just getting started. Because he got three additional federal charges for child porn, and the investigation started get like going deep, right? When the woman fell, pushed, whatever happened out of that fifth-story apartment, they got a warrant for the charge of attempted homicide. And they went and looked in that apartment. And that's when they found dozens of rounds of ammunition. And a guy like this isn't supposed to have ammo because, say it with me now, you all know, true crime fans, he's a felon. Previous felony. Not allowed to have that stuff. So the U.S. attorneys got involved. And during a search that they did, they found a handwritten note in his apartment. And that note had the word raped at the top of it. And under that word raped was 23 female names. Again, handwritten note. So when they came to arrest him eventually, he'd had, um, you know, flown the coop. Wouldn't you know it? He'd escaped, he'd taken off. He wasn't there at the apartment. But somehow, for two years, as they tried to find him, he was able to elude them all while somehow making an official sale of that apartment. Don't ask, because you have to fill out lots of paperwork when you do real estate transactions. And they wanted this guy for two years, couldn't find this guy, but he's making real estate transactions and selling that apartment. For good measure, he was also able to sell two other apartments that he owned in the same building. Again, said apartment is the one with the five-story window out of which a woman was either thrown, shoved, or fell and should have died. Instead, horribly injured, able to talk to the police. 
So eventually, in 2023, just this year, in April, they caught him. They found him sleeping in a car. I guess he didn't have his three apartments anymore. He needed somewhere to rest his head. So the car seemed like as good a place as any. Weirdly, it was near a boat landing. Reminds me of what happened to the mass shooter in Maine. Car was left at a boat landing. But this time, Sean Williams was inside the car having a snooze. Maybe he'd indulged in his uh, product because inside that car, they also discovered 12 ounces of cocaine and 14 ounces of meth. That's serious. And he made his first escape attempt. It was uh, in July, just three months later. He didn't like the Washington County Jail, so he tried to escape, and he was indicted for that. But in the investigation of, oh, I don't know, pick one crime, uh, they found thumb drives and other digital devices. And on those thumb drives, and this is where it gets critical, they found images and videos of Williams himself raping at least 52 women in various states of unconsciousness, the police say. Let me just repeat that. On his own thumb drives that they got from their investigations of, I don't know, pick one of those crimes I just outlined, they found thumb drives with files, thousands of files, showing him raping at least 52 women in various states of unconsciousness. Some of the evidence they found on those thumb drives correlated with the child porn rape charges that I outlined eight minutes ago. More evidence related to the sexual assaults of children. So women and children are his thing. And if you like to protect your women and children, or if you are a woman, or you have a child, listen up. He is out there. Somehow he showed up at a a Greenville, Tennessee home, wanting to use the phone, and they haven't seen him since. That's pretty scary stuff. Joining me now is the man leading the hunt for Sean Williams. It's U.S. Marshal David Jolly of the Eastern District of Tennessee. Um, Marshal, this is terrifying. I mean, look, we do, we do manhunts all the time. And typically, if they're on this show, they do bad things. But I don't know that I've ever seen someone with this incredible pattern of violence and criminal activity who's been able to elude authorities like this. What is the latest on the search for him? How, how close are we to getting this guy back in shackles? Unfortunately, we don't have any new leads. Nobody has seen him since the morning of the escape, which was tomorrow will be 21 days. So it's uh, it's very cold right at the moment. Do we do we think he's armed and dangerous because he just seems to be a very crafty person? Uh, Obviously, he's alleged to have been extraordinarily violent with women and children. But do we think he's armed and dangerous for anybody else out there? We have no knowledge that he is he's armed, but we certainly consider him to be a very dangerous individual, a desperate individual who does not in any circumstances want to go back to incarcerations and will do anything that it takes to avoid being taken back into custody. So as a U.S. Marshal, I can only imagine that it just, you know, enrages you to think that we had him. We had him in belly chains and leg irons and and handcuffs in a transit van on the way to court with two human assets guarding him. And somehow he was able to, to get away. Please tell me if you know more than I do how that happened. Well, I wish I knew all the answers to the how part of how this happened. Obviously, there was a failure by the transport team of some sort. 
you know, whether they were in collusion in some way, whether they, it was pure negligence or, or exactly how it happened. Uh, investigators are looking into that part of it as we speak, uh, led by the FBI. And uh, we'd like to know those answers ourselves, whether, uh, you know, exactly how it happened and did he have any help? Well, that's a good question. And I, I want to get to the help on the inside or the outside. Those are always natural questions. But I, I just want to ask another question about the escape itself. Um, look, this is the age of, of, of surveillance, right? There's a camera everywhere. And I can only imagine that there should, maybe would have been, a camera in that transit van. Was there? There is a camera in that van, but the camera was not working. So very questionable as well. There were a lot of failures at the particular time. Uh, so that's that's a, you know, there's, there's just so many questions related to the, how did this happen when he showed up at the courthouse, pulled into, when the transport van showed up at our courthouse, pulled into the our Sally Port and to meet with our deputy marshals to unload the two prisoners that were arriving for court. And obviously one of them was missing. And we've had a, numerous, numerous questions. I can make a long list of all the questions of just how in the world could this uh, possibly happen without the transport officers knowing that he was able to get out of that van, especially since there were two officers in there and this guy had uh, handcuffs and uh, which the handcuffs were found inside the van. Somehow he was able to get out of those. We don't know how that happened. Um, it's not easy to get out of handcuffs. Well, and, and, and Marshall, leg irons and belly chain is the purporting that we've got on it. So I would venture to say that's even harder. Um, I did not know there was a he second was inmate. Tough, yes. He was what? Yeah, if he was prop- if he was properly uh, restrained as uh, protocol calls for, he would have had uh, belly chain. He would have had leg irons as well. So couple questions about this. Uh, Let me start with the second inmate. Uh, I didn't realize there was another inmate in there. Can that inmate be compelled to tell what he knows? Uh, Can he face any kind of charges for aiding or does he, is he allowed his fifth amendment? He's allowed his fifth amendment. You know, he, um, I hate to talk too much about the investigation as far as what he is uh, maybe told us or not told us. Um, partly for his own safety, you know, but uh, I hate to, I hesitate to talk too much about what the other inmate uh, has told us or not told us. Yeah, totally understand. And let's not say his name. Um, I didn't even know it was a he, but I assume, assumed so. So let's talk now about the mechanics of all of this, because I don't even know if I've checked all the boxes yet, but we've got a camera not working. We have two human assets who somehow don't notice when one of only two inmates breaks out a window of a van and gets out of a lot of restraints. Um, the, the natural question would be inside job. I mean, that's probably what everybody watching right now thinks. So what are the possibilities it is an inside job? Well, that's certainly a question that you have to ask. You know, was it or was there uh, some major negligence on part of the transport officers? Very questionable. It's the whole circumstances of uh, not arriving at the federal courthouse to our office with this inmate not being there. There's just so many questions. So how much of the investigation right now is, I mean, the acute aspect of this story is that he's out there and he's, uh, you know, 
a rapist, an alleged rapist on videotape um, or his own camera apparently recording 50 times over. Um, what, what is what is the priority here? Catch him and then deal with the massive lapses in moronic behavior of the jailers? Um, or is it uh, a bifurcated process? Both of them are top priority. Well, they're basically both top priority, but really number one is catching Sean Williams and getting him back into custody so that he can face all of these numerous charges that he has pending. Uh, that's really number one. But, you know, parallel to that, at the same time, there's this other investigation into the how aspect of, of this whole escape. Yeah, I'll say. Okay, so the other thing is that he, he showed up at a home to use the phone. Are you at liberty to tell me a little more about that? Like, is this someone who had no idea and he was long gone before they realized who he was? Or what were the circumstances of that? Basically, that's correct. This, this happened uh, about an hour after the uh, escape, uh, after the arrival at the courthouse, and it was uh, realized that Sean Williams was missing from the van. Uh, he uh, walked to the uh, front porch of a, a woman and had a lot of blood on him and asked to use the phone. She did not allow him to use the phone. Obviously, um, this seemed to be pretty alarming to her. She was not aware of the of the escape at the time. And it was a little while later before she uh, actually called law enforcement and, and let us know that a man had been to the house and she had heard by then that there had been an escape and it might have been Sean Williams. Is she okay? Were there any, was there any incident there with her? I mean, think about the person who was on her porch covered in blood. Was she uh, unscathed? She was unscathed. Thank Nothing God. happened. Uh, you know, fortunately, he didn't do anything to her. He, he moved on. Uh, but, you know, he was a pretty bloodied up guy, according to her. Uh, so obviously he had some likely injuries from his uh, leap through the window of the van. I'll bet. Um, I can't thank you enough. I'm, I'm about to give out the information uh, about this. But I, before I do that, Marshall, I'd just like to ask about the reward. It's only $7,500, which, you know, uh, there have been all sorts of cases that have been a lot more than that. Is that going to go up soon? I would expect that there is a uh, very real possibility that the reward will will go up in the near future. U.S. Marshal David Jolly, thank you so much. Uh, find him, please. Help me out here. <laughs> Do your best. Uh, tell your men and women, yeah. and um, and let's be in touch. Keep us posted, okay? Yes, just asking the public to help in any way they can. If anybody has any sighting of him, any knowledge whatsoever, uh, we want him. Uh, this is an extreme case for um, our guys are working round the clock on this investigation, and we want to get him apprehended absolutely as soon as possible. Okay, we've got the tip information up there, Marshall. It's um, 877-926-8332 if you want to call. And just take a picture of your TV. I always say that's the quickest way because it's hard to memorize. You can also go to usmarshals.gov slash tips. But there's the guy you're looking for. Uh, take a good long look at those eyes. He is a chameleon. He's got a lot of different looks. There's that tattoo. It's unique. Um, but definitely call if you have seen or heard anything. There is a $7,500 reward, and that is um, possible uh, to go up. So with a guy like Sean Williams on the loose, every single ounce of information is critical in catching him before he potentially attacks again. Remember, these rapes have been brutal, and the accusations number into the 50s. One victim allegedly pushed or thrown... 
from a fifth story window? Story that she could tell investigators and miraculously she will. Somehow she survived and she is my next exclusive guest. Sean Williams is tonight, mark my words, he is being hunted all the way from Maryland down to Florida. Agents all over the East Coast are looking for this potential serial rapist of women and children, over 50 on video in various states of unconsciousness, twice escaped from authority, multiple charges Not just the rapes, but also guns and drugs and you name it. Loads and loads of different looks. But get a good look at all of them. Nobody wants him captured more than my next guest. In 2020, Michaela Evans went out drinking with some friends and ended up at his apartment in Johnson City, Tennessee. She believes that he drugged her, tried to assault her, and then shoved her out of a fifth-story window to the concrete below. She should not be alive. Five stories to concrete. She broke nearly every single bone in her body from that fall, and somehow, miraculously, she lived. As she fought for her life in the hospital, he was being charged with attempted criminal homicide. And it was during that investigation that all hell broke loose. The warrants turned up all sorts of things that we may never have known about this man. All the thumb drives, videos, pictures, lists, raping women, 23 names, video of unconscious women being raped, children, all of that on this investigation for that crime. I am joined now by Michaela Evans. It's her first national television interview. I am so glad that you are alive, Michaela. I mean, it is astounding that you survived this. And I'm so sorry that we're speaking under this kind of a circumstance. First and foremost, how did you survive? How did you survive that fall? Um, Lots of prayers and lots of great doctors. (laughs) Describe the injuries that you received from that five-story plunge. Um, I broke all of my fingers, all of my toes. Um, I pretty much shattered my right foot. Most of it is made with plates and screws. Um, I'm completely messed up, like, my pelvic region from left to right all the way around. And then um, I broke my back pretty much all the way up, but severely in the middle. They have to put rods and pistons in there that go up and down to make my back and stuff bend. There's concrete that built one bone back. Um, I had four skull fractures, damage to my right ocular and my eye, and I punctured my kidney, my liver, and my lung. It is, it is so unbelievable that you survived this um, and that you can actually list out uh, every one of those, those injuries. Um, you got a call, or actually you got a Facebook message that Sean Williams wanted to talk to you while you were lying in that hospital bed and you had the wherewithal to record 
the call. I, if I can, I'd like to play for our viewers a portion of that call. Is that okay, Michaela? That's fine. Okay, let's listen. I guess all my bones that I just told you that broke, they stuck out of my body, and they had to fix all those and put them back, so. Yeah, yeah I remember running down there, and, you know, we weren't even, we were up maybe three minutes when we came in the door. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh... He walked around to the kitchen and I walked over and started rolling a cigarette. That's the first thing I do when I get in there. And then he went and walked over and sat in the window. And I, as soon as I looked up, I was, I was about, I was going to say, hey, Doug. You know, so I don't, I don't, you know, normally let people sit in the window. Right. And uh, I didn't even get the words, hey, mm. and say, hey, Doug. <laughs> and man, that, I mean, it haunts me every day. Like the, the look on your face. And then I ran over there. I ran over there to try to grab your your arm because it was kind of sliding down the frame as you were going back. And I, and I, it's like I got probably two feet from you, and then your hand let go. And, and it was just, that sound. It was just horrible, man. Just knowing what that was, man. Like you just hit the ground. I, just, I couldn't really relate to it. Michaela, do you believe anything that he said in that phone call? No. Do you think he pushed and you out the window? Possibly, yeah. How else do you think you would have ended up out a five-story window? I don't. Do you think, uh, um, well, you do. I mean, as I understand, you believe that he drugged you and may have tried to assault you. Do you have any recollection of anything else that happened before um, you went out that window? The last thing I remember was being in the garage and swinging on his swing and him putting his hands like this and pushing me in a circle three times. And I woke up in the hospital. And so no recollection of what led up to being in the fifth story apartment and going out, out the window? Uh, they state that we were going to get free drinks, but I had drinks that were being ordered for me and him with my debit card back where I was at, and he was supposed to come back there with me. When you, when you were brought to the hospital, um, have you, I'm not going to ask if you remember. I can't imagine you can remember much, but um, did you ever find out if, they, if the police tested you for date rape drugs? They did not. They did not. Did, no, did they test for any drugs at all? Um, they had ketamine come back, but um, I did find a report that State's EMT gave me that, which that is also a day rate drug. So I had to make sure, I guess, find it and who gave it to me. And then they did um, alcohol and uh, tested for uh, marijuana and cocaine and I think a few other things, but they never tested for date rape, even though they were requested by my mother to do that. When you heard that Sean Williams escaped the way he did, out of shackles, handcuffs, belly chains, and a transport van, and we're learning there was another inmate in that van and two guards, what was your first reaction? 
Um, he had help. You think he had help inside or outside? Both. So inside help to make it out and outside help to stay on the run? There you go. How? Why would someone, what would be in it for anyone to help a guy like this? All I can think is maybe lots of money because I couldn't tell you why anybody would want to help him. I wouldn't. And did he, did he have a lot of money? Was he, did you know, I mean, I do know that he had those apartments, but how would he have come into the kind of money it would take to have someone help someone like this? Well, supposedly he had money before, but he also sold a house in North Carolina. Um, he traded, sold, and done all kinds of things before he went on the run the last time. When you found out that police found digital evidence showing the potential rapes of over 50 unconscious or semi-conscious women, uh, what, what did you think? I was disgusted, kind of like I am now. Um, but that's what's crazy is that Marshall had made a comment that the um, camera in the van wasn't working. The statement was that the camera in his apartment wasn't working that night either. But all those other times were on his surveillance, which is, number one, disgusting because gosh knows how long it goes back. Michaela, for your sake and the sake of everyone out there, I so hope they catch him soon. And um, when they do, let's not say if, let's say when they do, I hope you'll come back and talk to us. Yeah, definitely. I will definitely come back and talk to them. Like you said, it's a matter of when. Hopefully it's a lot sooner this time than it was last time. You're an incredibly brave woman, and thank God um, you're with us. Thank you, Michaela. I appreciate this. Thank you so much. You have a good night. You too. Unbelievable story. And mark my words, Michaela um, will be on a witness stand at some point to put an end to this nightmare for so many people. Still to come on this program, an inside look at the Caitlin Armstrong murder investigation. A News Nation exclusive tour of the very house where Mo Wilson was murdered at the front door. The home where Caitlin Armstrong shared with her boyfriend, Colin and the bar where Mo and Colin secretly met up as a mysterious black Jeep cruised by. A Jeep that sure looked a lot like Caitlin's. Going to take you through that entire area next. There is nothing like a day off, am I right? You can just go where you want, do what you want. Um, And that is what Caitlin Armstrong's judge did today, took a personal day. That happens in, not very often, but it happens in trials. Caitlin Armstrong, however, her day off from trial, uh, not so fun because when she's not wearing a suit in this courtroom, behind the doors is like the whole labyrinth system back to her jail cell. It's connected to the Travis County Courthouse. Travis County Jail and Travis County Sheriffs all share the same building. So her day off stinks. She's at the jail. And I wish I could tell you more about how she's being held there, because I'm super curious. But they won't tell us. And normally, we get information like that. But they will not tell us about her diet. She vegan, like Brian Koberger. Don't know. We don't know if she's being held in seg, segregation, 
because she's unique, uh, high profile, and no escapist. Uh, we don't know. We don't know how many guards guard her when she moves about the cabin, but I think should be some more than normal because, again, escapist. Um, we also know there's 250 inmates, like, capacity at the Travis County Jail, again, connected to the courthouse, but they won't tell us if they're full, won't tell us much of anything. We know a lot about Armstrong, you know, especially, like, she's a bit of a control freak. She was reading her boyfriend's emails, texts, and contacts. But we know a lot less about the victim, Mariah Wilson, Mo Wilson, Alex Capriello, News Nation's national correspondent, went out to learn more about her and the places where it seems that Mo was being stalked. Over the last few days of covering this murder trial, we've learned so much more about the final hours of Mo Wilson's life. Right now, we're going to take you step by step, showing you each location she visited before police say Caitlin Armstrong gunned her down in cold blood. May 11th, 2022, professional cyclist Colin Strickland picks up his former lover Mo and takes her here to the deep eddy pool for an afternoon swim. Just a short time later, the two were seen on surveillance cameras here at the Poolburger Bar enjoying food and drinks. That exact same camera actually captured a black Jeep with a bike rack coming right down this street, identical to the one that Caitlin Armstrong owns. It wouldn't be the last time a black Jeep would be seen near the victim. Fast forward, it's now sunset here in East Austin. Colin Strickland's motorcycle drives down this road before dropping off Mo Wilson at the base of these steps. It's at this time that a video camera at this house right over here actually captures a black Jeep slowly driving up. And just moments after that, three distinct gunshots are heard. Mo Wilson's body was found with two bullet holes in the head and one in the chest. The next morning, detectives showed up here at Colin Strickland's house to deliver the news. They would escort him to APD headquarters, where he would be interrogated for a grueling six and a half hours. Prosecutors say the entire time, Caitlin Armstrong was watching the whole thing unfold from those windows. By May 13th, she had sold her car and hightailed it out of town. She wouldn't be captured for 43 days when U.S. Marshals found her hiding out in Costa Rica. And Ashley, there is still so much from this trial that we have yet to unpack. We've only briefly skimmed the surface when it comes to DNA evidence. We have not heard from ballistic experts, although we expect to. Not to mention, we still are expecting to hear about the GPS coordinates from her cell phone as well as from her Jeep that were all tracked. And keep in mind, that murder trial kicks off again tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. Alex Capriello, uh, that's a lot of work you've been doing. We appreciate that. And thank you for bringing you know, Mo's story back, because we hear a lot about Caitlin, not so much about Mo. so do appreciate doing that. Alex Capriello doing the job for us tonight. Coming up, some say we should never forget. Others say let their stories die with them. But whatever you think, we cannot seem to shake serial killers, what they do, and who are they? How'd they end up that way? You will never forget Dahmer, Gacy, but what about Danny Rulling? What about Bobby Joe Long? What these guys did would make you sleep with a shank. So should we forget them or learn from their horrors and stay one step ahead? Our continued special series on serial killers is next. So this happened and we could not resist sharing it with you. You might say we couldn't hold it. You're going to get that in a second. Uh, police over in the UK are charging four men for their part in the theft of a $6 million toilet. You heard me right. That thing 
$6 million. Believe it or not, it is fully functioning. It is made of solid 18 karat gold. And the reason it's so darn fancy is not because it belonged to Saddam Hussein. It's actually a piece of modern art that you can use for your business. It was actually on display at Winston Churchill's birth home when somehow it got stolen. That happened in 2019. And while they think they've caught the guys, they have not found the potty. They think maybe it's been melted down, because, like, wouldn't you? Um, They think maybe if it wasn't melted down for the gold, uh, it was maybe stashed in someone's home as a private throne somewhere. But more than anything, this crime gave my staff a golden opportunity to write the banners that you see below, like (laughs) the Great Crapper Caper, and how about Golden Throne Grabbed While Guards on Duty, Toilet Thieves Flushed Out, Cops Closed the Lid on Toilet Caper, Golden Toilet Thieves, Nothing to Go On, Clean Break, Wiped Out, my nexus is my favorite. A crap sheet of a rap sheet. And number two caught, along with number one, number three, and number four. Yes, everybody on my staff, including me, we all went to college. And this is